Let me invite you now to stand and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. So Romans chapter 1, and I'll read for you verses 1 through 7 as we begin this new series in Romans. Romans, the longest uh, letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. It is an in-depth presentation of the gospel message with all of its application and consequences for those who believe. And so as we look at this series, my prayer for you, for all of us, is that we would adjust everything we believe about God and know that God believes about us, that that would become more clear in our lives, all for the glory of God. And so follow along with me now as I read this introduction, the introductory verses to Romans in Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom... We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, how we ask that you indeed would move by your Spirit in our hearts to lead us as you promised in all truth, that we together would consider and think through what is it exactly we believe, that we together would give you glory in each, in the way that we love others, in the way that we speak with those we disagree with, that together we would be an example of what The Son said in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Increase our love for one another and for you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to give you a homework assignment right from the start, and it's pretty easy to complete, so you should have a degree of confidence going into this. When you leave today, I want you to look to the southwest corner of the parking lot. Southwest corner of the parking lot, for those who are directionally challenged, is that a way? I want you to look at and observe the most humble structure on our campus, namely the dumpster enclosure. And I want you to know that if you look at the plans for this building, that dumpster enclosure was not only planned for, but the architect took time to draw out the details and the dimensions of that enclosure. Now, of course, as you consider the complexity of this building or the life center that we're building, the plans are big and thick, every area Every eventuality is covered as it should be because if you're building something important, you need to know exactly how you're going to get there. Now, even the dumpster enclosure has a plan. 
What about your theology? You know, all of us are theologians. And by that, what I mean is that all of us have thoughts about God. And many times, my experience has been that we don't put a lot of thought into what we think about God. In fact, Carl Truman, in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Self, he puts it this way, most of us do not self-consciously reflect on life and the world as we live in it, but instead think and act intuitively in accordance with the way we instinctively imagine the world to be. What is he getting at there? That's kind of a mouthful. We seem to do theology, and remember, all of us are theologians, all of us think thoughts about God, and what is so important in your life is those thoughts matter for how you behave, live, love, and work. And so, what's he get, what Truman is getting at there is we tend to have an intuitive way of doing theology. We sort of go about life and we think thoughts and we never examine what is it exactly we believe and whether or not we can tie what we believe to anything more substantive than how I feel. Have you ever heard someone say or pronounce feel like that? You know you're in trouble. If I ask someone what God is like and they begin the sentence, I feel like, you know you're in trouble. You know you are on shaky ground. Because it's this intuitive way of relating that isn't tied to the truth. And so what I want for you is to have a biblical theology. Well, what do I mean by that? It's a theology that is derived from the revelation, revealed truth that God has given us in his inspired and errant word to base what we think about God not on how we feel, but what the truth tells us here in the Bible. To have a theology that is biblical, tied to the truth, Because I want to tell you that what you think about God is supremely important. And you ought to think through what you think about God. But let me tell you this as well. Not only is what you think about God important, you know what's more important? What he thinks about you. And to know both and to have those derived from the scripture is really the goal of this series If something as humble as a dumpster enclosure has been thought through in every detail, should we not also then think through what we know about God and what he knows about us? So the first point I'm going to make here from the first verse and then verses 5 through 7 is that if you want to know the gospel, if you really want to know God, You need to know yourself. You need to know yourself. And the Apostle Paul displays a knowledge about himself here that is important to lead and guide us. And in fact, I'm going to go through seven characteristics that the Apostle Paul knows about himself has been revealed to him from the truth of Scripture. And the first one is in verse 1. Paul, and he describes himself this way, 
a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. In that one verse, we find out that Paul sees himself, his self-perception, his conception of himself is as a servant. And that word can also be translated bondservant or even slave. And what Paul understands about himself is that he belongs to Jesus Christ. That Christ has, in point of fact, through the cross, paid a price. That's what redemption is about. It's about buying back. And so Jesus has paid the price for the Apostle Paul, thus making Paul belong to Jesus and see himself as a servant, one willing to take instructions from, guidance from, leadership from Jesus himself. So that's the first uh, characteristic there of Paul. The second one, if we want to know God and the gospel, we're going to need to know ourselves. The second one is called to be an apostle. Now, you and I are not called to be an apostle. An apostle is, if we take a biblical definition of it, and there's some confusion about this. 1 Corinthians 9.1, Paul says that he's an apostle. Why? Because he has seen the risen Lord. So apostles should be limited to those disciples and others who have seen the risen Lord. So we are not called to be an apostle, but, the, but Paul was. And he has this calling from God because he belongs to Jesus by virtue of his redemption. So he has a purpose. And right there from the outset, from the first few words of Romans, we answer the greatest questions of our society. Who am I? And what is my purpose? Those are answered right here. Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. He has that purpose. He is set apart for the gospel of God, and the gospel belongs to God. It is his uh, good news. And the apostle Paul understands part of his purpose then to be an apostle and to be set apart for the purpose of spreading this good news. Now, we'll skip down to verse 5 because really this phrase, gospel of God, then it gets described in verses 2 through 5, uh, 2 through 4. So we'll skip down to verse 5 for the third, the fourth description here is that he is a recipient of grace and apostleship. Do you see that? Through whom, verse 5, we have received grace and apostleship. So understand this, that the Apostle Paul conceives of himself, and he has this understanding that he has received grace, that he is passive in this, that God has given it to him. Grace is not something we go out and earn. It's not something we perform for. You know, I was always told growing up, you know, if you study hard, what happens? You get good grades. If, if you work hard, what happens? You get a, good, get a good job. With Christianity, it doesn't work that way. Christianity requires effort, but our salvation, thank the Lord, is not based on our performance but it's based on the performance of Jesus Christ. And so Paul sees himself as receiving, not earning, grace and apostleship. 
the purpose for this, verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And so Paul understands that he has received this grace and apostleship for the purpose of obedience to God's glory for the sake for the sake of his name and it's among all the nations that's the context because that is the only stage big enough for our God is that all nations would see the wonderful redemption and would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, number the fifth of seven here is that he belongs to Jesus Christ, and that's in verse six, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And that points us back to verse one that Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus, that there is implied there this redemption, this buying, this purchase of us by Christ at the cross. And then the sixth quality, remember what? To know the gospel, to know God, you must know yourself. The sixth description here is in verse 7. To all those in Rome who are what? Loved by God. Isn't that good news? Don't skip over that, that if you're in Christ, if you've placed your faith in him, if you've received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you are loved by God. Notice here, there's no footnote where Paul says, uh, to most of you in Rome, uh, to most of you in that church, with the exception of the big bad sinner that we all know about, he doesn't say, to all those in Rome who are loved by God. This supreme privilege, God is indiscriminate in some ways and placing his love on all his followers. And so this is something you need to know about yourself, that if you're in Christ, you are loved by God. And the last one here is number seven, you are called to be a saint. Now, this can be confusing because if you have a Roman Catholic background, then you understand the saints are these holy giants of the faith who have performed miracles, who are closer to God than you. And therefore, you would practice praying to the saints because those saints can bend the ear of God better than you can because they are more holy than you. But that isn't a biblical understanding. Paul says, you are called to be saints, that God, through the righteousness of Jesus Christ conveyed to us by our salvation, declares us saints. We are right with God, justified. And that'll be later in Romans, but you need to know that's coming, that the spiritual status of a Christian is not somebody who, eh, you just kind of squeaked in the door right before it slammed. No, through Jesus Christ, we belong and we are loved by God and our status is not as if God looks down on us and, well, I'm grading for a curve, so I'll just barely let Alan in. It's not that way. We are declared called 
to be saints. And this really, in the opening few verses here, you can see how this relates to our situation in society. Are people not confused about their identity? Are people not confused about their gender? Are people not confused about what their purpose is in life? And it's all right here. It's all answered for us here in the scriptures. And so when we think of, and, and you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and so uh, demographically this may or may not fit you, but uh, you remember the television show Cheers uh, set there in a bar in Boston, and everyone would go, and they would find community. They would find support in this bar. And it touches something in us because when we think about these dynamics about who we are in Christ and we think about that we are loved, that we belong, there's a deeper longing within our hearts that I think Cheers touched on. And we know that from the chorus of the theme song, which you could sing for us. I will not sing it. But you could probably sing that for us. And it goes something like this. And I am making a deep philosophical, existential, theological point on a sitcom. You're about to see it. The chorus goes like this. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You can finish that. And the reason I believe we can finish that chorus is because it touches something within our soul. You see, ever since Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, we've been looking for a place to belong, haven't we? And I want to tell you that the place to belong is not a bar in Boston, but it's in a church. It's in a community of people who know that their identity is something that God has given them. It is a, we have a derived identity. What do I mean by that? I mean, you don't need to go up on a mountaintop somewhere to find yourself. What I'm telling you is, if you want to find yourself, look at what the scripture says is true about you. If you and I peel the onion, what are we going to find? Just more onion and probably a lot of tears. Our identity is not something within us, but our identity to truly know ourselves, we have to begin on the outside and work to the inside. And so when we hear that chorus of the cheer song, we long to belong. We long to be loved, to find support, to find empathy. And here we have it with our God in ways that are so much more substantial than anywhere we will find in this life. Verse 6, you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to those, all those in Rome who are what? Loved by God. Ah, to be loved, to belong it's not in a bar in Boston. It's right here in the church. And so you should know 
that Jesus knows your name, that God is not so busy running the universe that he doesn't call you by name, that he doesn't know you. And we can be assured and we can be calmed by that in a crazy world that we are known by God, loved by him, and we belong to him. The greatest questions of our existence are not where we're going to go to college, how successful we're going to be. The greatest questions of our existence are answered for us in the way that the Apostle Paul, someone who did a complete 180 in their life, understood. He was loved. He was called to be a saint. He belonged to Jesus Christ. He received grace and apostleship, set apart for the gospel of God, called to be an apostle and a servant of Christ Jesus. That's who Paul was. And in most part, that's who we are. That's who we're called to be in Christ. So don't allow someone to assign an identity to you. Don't allow someone to take your identity from you. You know, sometimes we make our life about what's happened to us. You know, I'm the victim here. Uh, This hard thing happened to me in my life, and my life has never been the same. We have a deeper, greater way of understanding our identity and our purpose than the way the world assigns it to us. So to know the gospel, you've got to know yourself. That's here in the opening few verses of Romans. And to know the gospel, not only do we need to know ourselves, this derived identity from the truth given to us in Scripture as well, we need to know who our Savior is. And our Savior, there were seven things about ourselves. There's five things about the Savior uh, given to us here. And it starts in verse 2. And verse 2 through 5 is this greater explanation of what the gospel of God is. And what we find out in verse 2, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So this promise and the fact that it was promise beforehand really displays to us the power and the sovereignty of God to accomplish everything. So what do we find out about the Savior? He was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So we understand the major prophets, the minor prophets of the Scripture. Promise beforehand means that God recorded that promise in order to fully display his faithfulness in accomplishing that promise. And then look in verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus, who was descended from David. So we find out that Jesus was promised beforehand in the prophets when it says concerning his son who was descended from David. We understand that that is supported in the rest of Scripture. So this could be a shorthand way of referring to the entire Old Testament. Because you have three main divisions of the Old Testament. You have what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the uh, Hebrew Bible. Then you have the writings. And the writings are the historical portions of the Scripture. And then you have the prophets. And so this could be a way of relating and reminding the reader that Jesus was descended from David. And this fact about him was a fulfillment of the prophets, but as well 
was recorded faithfully in the writings of Scripture. According to the flesh, he was a human, fully human, fully divine, in one body, two distinct natures. And he was, verse 4, and this verse is a mouthful here, declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a mouthful, right? And what verse 4 is showing us is really the interrelation of the Trinity. That for a moment we're pulling back the curtain and we in our finite minds are trying to understand the infinite and we fail every time at that. But the point being made here is that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power. In other words, he was appointed by God in eternity past to be the Savior. This is part showing the wisdom of God, the interrelation of the members of the Trinity who perfectly cooperate together. So he's declared to be the Son of God in power. This is according to the Spirit of holiness. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit who applies the salvation. So we think for a moment, the Father ordains salvation. The Son accomplishes the salvation. The Spirit applies the salvation. All three important. All three uh, working together. So according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. So Jesus' resurrection authenticates everything and is a display of his power against our final enemy, death. And Jesus Christ is our Lord. And so as we're thinking through, remember, getting to know the Savior here, learning to know the Savior, five things. He is Lord We sometimes have a problem with that, don't we? I mean, are we not living in the age of, don't you tell me what to do? And all these, what do we call coronavirus precautions? We call them restrictions. We are a people, the United States of America, founded in a rebellion against a king And every time we go to relate to authority, many of us have problems that stem back to 1776. It's in our DNA. And so when we think about Jesus as Lord, someone we should obey and submit to, deep within our rebel hearts, these are fighting words, aren't they? But Paul describes himself, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, The antidote to our rebellion is the belonging and love of the Savior that calls us to him. And so Jesus is Lord, and he is the one, verse 5, through whom we have received grace. And Paul received apostleship. Remember, we are not apostles, but through whom? Through his work. So remember that Jesus' saving action how we have received grace, it is not limited to his work on the cross, just the cross. See, we tend to shrink Christianity down to Jesus's atoning work, but his life saves us because of his perfect righteousness that satisfies God's perfect standard. And then Jesus died on the cross, so his death atones for us in terms of the wrath of God received by Christ on the cross, 
By his wounds we are healed. The wrath we were due for our sin fell on him. And then we are saved by Jesus' resurrection because it's the authentication of every, everything he said and did and a display of his power over all his and our enemies. And so even we are saved by his ascension. After his resurrection, he goes, he sits at the right hand of God, and what does he do? He intercedes for us. So to know the gospel that we're going to learn about here in Romans, we must know who we are, and we must know who the Savior is. And who is the Savior? He's the one that was promised beforehand, descended from David, declared to be the Son of God in power. He is Lord, and he is the one through whom we have received grace. And so as we go about our life, I want you to think of something here something that will help us in our life as we think about focusing on the Savior. You know, every now and then, and I'm admitting it, I'm admitting it in front of you publicly. Every now and then, Tracy and I watch ice skating. I figure I subject her to football all the time. Every now and again, I can stomach some ice skating. And you know how they end the ice skating routines, you know, this person who's way more athletic than I'll ever be, does this spinning. Have you ever seen that? It's super fast spinning. I mean, I get queasy hitting the dip on Ammon Road. (laughs) And they're doing this spinning, and somehow they come out of that turn, and they're not falling over as I would be dizzy, You know what they do? Evidently, what they do is they pick out a point to focus on. They pick out a point to focus on so that what they are doing as they're turning around so quickly is they're whipping their head around and they're finding that point, their point of focus. And so they're turning, finding that point of focus, turning, again, coming back to that same point. And my encouragement to you is in all the distractions, and do we not have a lot of distractions? And I mean, I'm talking phones that are beeping and buzzing at us and calling for our attention. I'm talking about major violent events that happen in our society that discourage us and make us long for Jesus to return. All these things happening in our world, we must what? Hebrews 12, 2, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. To know Jesus is really to understand something is that we tend to get spiritually distracted, don't we? And what we are called to is to wholly place our focus. So in this topsy-turvy world, we don't lose balance. In this world that would swallow us with despair, we focus on Jesus. And my encouragement to you is pattern your day, pattern your week by focusing on Jesus. Make room in your schedule to read God's word. You know, there's some encouragement. I want you to watch an introductory video on uh, Romans. This is in the uh, questions for application or reflection and application, that first one there. There's a great introductory video on Romans. Make time in your schedule 
to focus on Jesus. Make it your pattern throughout the day. You know, I've got you for 30 minutes on a Sunday, one time a week. If you go to Christian Ed, that's another hour. So that's an hour and a half. What are you doing the rest of the week? What are you doing the other six hours and 22, or six days, 22 and a half hours? What are you doing? 23 and a half hours. What are you doing? What are you focused on? What clamors for your attention and the call for us to fix our eyes on this Savior, to know Him well? We belong to Him. He loves us. The church focused on Jesus is a powerful and redemptive force in our world. So to know the gospel, to know God, you must know yourself and you must know the Savior. This is the introduction Paul gives us to the letter to the Romans. Let's pray together. Lord, how we ask that you would remind us that we are called to be saints, that the most important things about us are revealed to us in the Scripture, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray we would be encouraged as we're reminded that we belong to him, that you claim us, and that you love us. And we pray that would encourage us, help us this week, even today, to spend time focusing on you, that we together might know the wondrous truth of the gospel better, and that that good news would encourage us in our life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.